0: How many can say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This is always for years now, before I was pastor, okay, so don't get the wrong idea, but my favorite time of the week is together here with you, together in the house of, with the believers Worshipping the Lord and looking unto Him. You know, the Word says that if you'll look to Him, you won't be ashamed. You won't be ashamed. And so we can confidently, with great expectation, look to Him. Because He is our hope. You know, there's a verse that says something like that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. That word hope, it means confident expectation. The confident expectation of glory. And it's not, it includes, but is not limited to some future faraway day when you arrive in heaven. The confident expectation of glory is bringing heaven to earth right here, now, in this time, in this season, in this realm. You know, Jesus instructed the disciples to pray that way. He said that they should pray that your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. So that was their instruction. That was how they were to pray. And so in heaven, all the good things that are there, we should pray those into the earth today. We should begin to see on the inside. Have that confident expectation. that, That hope of glory. Of Jesus being lifted up and glorified. It's just wrong for the church to wait until heaven for Jesus to be glorified. That's a dereliction of duty. But that's not who we are, is it? We're going to lift Him up and see Him glorified now in this time and in all the ways that He wants to be glorified. If you could put up um, on the screen Isaiah 43 verse 1 and 2. And we're going to read these two verses together. Also, while we're finding that, I will remind you of these cards that we have back on the table that you can put down your everyday life questions that you have. And we will... There's instructions on it. You can find them in in the back there. And um, we will endeavor to answer those questions together. And I have one that we'll take time next week to look at and examine. We're not going to take time this week because... Of all that the Lord has on our dinner plate already, I think we'll go out gluttons if we add too much to it. So Isaiah 43 in verse 1, um, let's do the, uh, actually that's fine, let's do that version. Let's read together. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Someone say, I believe it. I believe it. You know, it, Scripture tells us all the promises of God are yes. And in Him we say, Amen. And so, if God is the, God, the same God that He was back then, Scripture tells us that He does not change, that He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so, if He would say that to Jacob and to Israel, whom, if you know your Bible at all, in Romans it says that if you have become a believer, if you name Jesus Christ as your Lord, that you have been grafted in and you are now the true Israel. The church is the true Israel. Not over in the country of Israel. They have forsaken what Israel is, if they do not believe. But you as the church have become those that are circumcised in the heart, is what the Word says. So you have been grafted in, and you've been put on the vine, and so this promise to Israel of old is also a promise to the new Israel. Because God doesn't change. He's the same. And if He would promise protection to them, but He wouldn't promise protection to you who is under a new and better covenant, well, first of all, it wouldn't be a new and better covenant. Second, He would not be the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He would heal them, if He would protect them, if He would deliver them, if He would allow them to go through the fire but come out, He would do the same for you. If, there's always that small word, if. If we would believe it, if we'll take a hold of it, if we take the word and say, I believe it. So who can say, I believe? believe You know, we've been reading together in Psalm 91 and Psalm 23 and other Psalms about divine protection, about divine deliverance. And you need divine protection just to go out and drive on the highway. There's a lot of crazy people out there driving around and texting and all kinds of things, right? I don't care if you text and drive, just don't run into anyone or over anyone or into anything. Watch the road, right? So no matter where you go in life, there's dangers all around. And so whether it be, you know, another driver or, you know, COVID-19 or any other disease or sickness the divine promises of protection belong to you so don't look at the wind and the waves do yourself a favor stop reading the news stop looking at the news you know with this current um, environment that we are in as a nation um, as a state we are in a strange place aren't we Place that we haven't necessarily been before, just now for two short months or however long it's been. And we look around and we don't recognize because we've not been there before. Yet, if we would just look at the wind and the waves, we would feel pretty woeful, right? We, we'd feel pretty much discouraged. And if you look at the news and and that's all that you're digesting, that's going to take a toll on you. In particular, because there's so much strife in the news. Have you ever noticed how strife wears you out? You know, you can be charged up, full of strength, full of life, you know, studied in the Word, the life and presence of God in you, and you get into an argument with someone, I mean, for just 10 or 15 minutes, and you go away and you go, man, you feel exhausted strife will wipe you out. And much of what's in the news today is just strife. That's exactly what it is. It's accusations, it's slander, it's all things that come out of strife. And so if you begin reading the news and you go, man, and you you find yourself going away from reading the news or watching the news feeling exhausted, there's a reason why. Am I saying that you shouldn't be informed? No, absolutely not. But if your diet is that, don't be surprised if the fruit that you exhibit is that. You ever hear the phrase, you are what you eat? I don't know how true it is, because I'd be mooing probably, because I eat a lot of beef. But But you get the point. What goes on the inside, what you're taking in spiritually, affects you. Affects you. You know, you can... change the color of plants, based some plants, not every plant, based on the color of water you give them, they'll change colors. Well, if we could all just see in the spiritual realm this morning and see each other's spirits and see what's written on our spirit, is it all the negative news or is it the Word of God? Is it His report? Whose report have we believed? And so you and I need to be very very diligent at looking at the report of the lord because salt doesn't do any good in the container nobody eats the slice of bread and goes wow that salt was amazing so you being the salt and light of the earth the only way you're going to accomplish that is by you being in the word and it's not so people can look at you and go wow you're so amazing No, the bread is amazing, the bread of life, and you ought to add flavor to it, but when people get a hold of that bread, they don't go, wow, you're so awesome, just like they don't say that about the salt. I mean, I like to sit down at a restaurant. Do you remember that? (laughs) Sitting at a restaurant? Those were quite the times, weren't they? And get myself a nice loaf of bread and put butter all over it. And then I like to sprinkle salt on it because it just makes the bread that much better. But I never get done eating and go, wow, they have amazing salt here. Because it's not about the salt. And so let's not lose focus. You know, maybe we've been standing. Maybe we've been fighting. Maybe we've been out there and in the trenches and laying hands on the sick and speaking life into situations and doing all these things. Number one, let's not get weary in doing those good things. But let's not lose focus and think it's about us. Or become conceited and proud because look at us. You're just salt. No one's looking at salt. It's about the bread. Are you hearing me? All right, turn with me, if you would, to First Timothy, chapter 3. Sometimes I just have to get up and let off a little bit of steam so that we can get to the other things. First Timothy, chapter 3. The Lord started putting this sermon on my heart a few days ago, and I'm going to be honest, I kind of resisted it for several reasons. Um, but as the Lord, as I as I dug in and, and um, had a conversation with the Lord on it, and He insisted this is what He wanted me to do, and I've learned that obeying the Lord is more valuable than salt, right? Because it's about the bread. In fact, uh, fascinating about what happened last week. If you were here with us, you know that, um, well, maybe you don't even know how that all happened, but... We talked about lengthening your days, that there, about the lie that is believed that there is a set time for you to die. And we looked at Scripture and, and we saw that there's a way to lengthen your days. And none of that, when I walked up to the pulpit, was anywhere in my thought to preach. Our entire sermon last Sunday, I didn't know we were going to preach that, that sermon until we got to the last verse of Psalms 91. Now, during worship, I told you that the Lord told me, during worship, that, how did he say it? He said, I want to set some things right. I want to set some things right. I said, what do you, what do you want to set right, Lord? I thought maybe he was talking about me, you know. And what have I done, Lord? <laughs> and um, he said, I want, to, I want to set some theology right. I want to set some thinking right. Okay. And um, I still didn't know what he meant until we got to the bottom end of Psalm 91. And when you obey the Lord, deliverance comes. After the service, I had someone come up to me and say, you know, for about a week, week and a half, I think it was. They said, I've been hearing a voice tell me that you're going to die soon. And he said, in fact, this morning, as I stepped out of the shower, I heard it again. You're going to die soon. And he said, you know, I I started to go, well, yeah, you know, maybe that pain I've been having in my back is something that's, maybe that's it. And he started to to say how, you know, I've been going through my mind about how, you know, our finances and things for my wife are in order and and she'll be okay. And and I started going through this mental checklist of making sure everything's in order for me to die. But I learned something today. He said, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. Now, that's a lie of the enemy. Now, if you're around long enough, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's a transition. That's right. That You won't die. Your right. outer tent will get replaced. And so, um, when you obey the Lord, then... Correct thinking can take place, and deliverance can take place and Now that gentleman can look forward to a lot longer life than what was suddenly he was being lied to about, and maybe there was others here that were you know got their thinking straightened out on it as well, or gave you something to go home and, and study in the word and hallelujah. but this morning, in obeying the Lord and as he put this sermon on my heart, I resisted it, number one because like yeah, that's just like the popular message for right now, and I really, um, you know, I think our people get it. We've been meeting this whole time, having church. I think they get it how important the church is, and um, but it kept coming back up for me. So finally, um, I'm like, Lord, is this really what you're wanting me to do, or is this just me? And the Lord says, No, preach that sermon. Now here's the difficulty: I preached this sermon a year ago in Colorado at our church out there. Um, But I had three services to do it in. Did you bring dinner? (laughs) Remember what? The bread of life. That's right. And recently, another reason that I was slow to say yes to what I thought might just be a distraction and not actually the Lord was because recently we had Pastor Kurt Owen come in some months ago and he taught on the importance of the local church. And wasn't that timely? I mean, before all of this happened? And it really helped anchor us in the value of what the Lord has given to us. But the Lord insisted that, no, I want you to preach that. So that's what we're going to do. So if you found 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to jump right in. And let's go down to verse 14. This morning, Lord willing, we're going to look at the importance of the local church. We're going to look at how the pastor should relate to you, his role, his responsibility to the sheep, to the flock. We're going to look at the flock's responsibility to the pastor. And maybe that's also another reason I was a little bit hesitant on the whole thing, because this sermon is a whole lot easier to preach in a church that you're not pastoring. (laughs) Because you could say, well, you're just trying to be self-serving. However, at the direction of the Lord, I am actually just going to feed you the Word. See, if there's sermons that I won't preach here in this house, then I'm not giving you the whole counsel of the Lord. And so whether it looks good or looks bad to you doesn't matter because that's just your viewpoint. What's important is that I give what the Lord gives to me, and then you receive from the Lord. Amen. You know, I could be the most anointed preacher on the whole planet, and that doesn't mean that you'd receive anything. That's true. I mean, Jesus was pretty anointed, wasn't he? Yeah. And there was a whole group of people that they couldn't receive anything from him. Right. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Yeah. All right, so here in verse 14, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. Now, remember, Paul is writing this to Pastor Timothy. He says, But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how you ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, this translation here, some of the newer translations say how people ought to act in God's household, but I believe um, probably... From what I've been able to look at with the study tools I have available to me, it looks like that should be you, as some translations also have it. He's talking to Timothy, telling him how he ought to act or how he needs to expect it to be in the household of God. So in this verse, we see several things right away. We see that God has a house, the household of God. So does he have a house? Or is he talking about you being the temple of the Lord? What is God's house? You know, through Scripture, many times it's referred to as the house of God. There is a place he calls the house of God. It's not called the temple in the New Covenant. You, the individual, are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, I'll read it to you. It says, or do you not know that your body, someone say my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So we personally are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yet when we come together, it's called the house of God. He goes on and He gives it. Well, another thing that we see here is there is a proper way to act in the house of God. There's a right way to act and there's a wrong way to act. In 1 Corinthians 14, it lays out some real detailed instructions how it should be done in the house of God. Here, let's keep reading here. he goes, so how people ought to, or how you ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Now this word church, let me go back and say something else first. You, the temple of God is not the church. You, the individual, is not the church. Many people will quote that and say, oh, well, you know, the people are the church. Well, the people plural are the church. That is correct. You, the individual, are not the church. And we're we're going to really lay that out very clearly for you. In what I teach this morning, I want you to understand you don't take something because I said it. You take it because it's what the Word says. And so if we can't back teaching up out of the Word, then we don't want to waste our time teaching it. It needs to be anchored in that foundation of the Word. The next thing here is the word church, which is the church of the living God. This word church means assembly. It means assembly of a group of people. Is what the word church means. In fact, every time you read the church in the Word, you could just... Mark it out and write the word assembly above it because that's the literal definition of it. Assembly of citizens. The assembly. So it is the assembly of the living God. It belongs to Him. And it's the assembly of temples. That's why I said the individual cannot be assembled by himself or herself. You are not the church individually, you are only the church, the assembly, corporately, together, where more than one is met. Two, three, four, a thousand. But individually, not the church. Someone say assembly. Assembly. So do you understand that you the individual, God lives in you, you are the temple, you are a part of the body of Christ. How many know that my finger is a part of my body? And if we cut it off and threw it into the corner and it was laying over there, we would not say that over there is Sidney's body. We'd say over there is a piece or a part of his body. But it's not the assembly of his body. It's only as his body is together that we would call it a whole. In the same way, With the assembly of the living God. Church. Okay? The building, which we call the house of God, is not the church. It's the people in it. When they are together, it is the church. There's a popular meme going around over the last two months that the church has left the building. Did they? It's true. But you can't be the church out there individually. You have to be together out there again to be the church. Let's stay accurate, even in our memes. And while I think we understand the heart of what is being said in that meme, that it's the body of Christ outside these four walls that is desperately needed in the world today. And a rejoicing at seeing the body of Christ rise up outside the walls of the church. But it's not the church out there individually as you go about your workplace and wherever. You, you aren't assembled with the believers at that point. So now let's read the verse, verse 15 again. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how you ought to act in God's household, which is the assembly of the living God. Listen, if your assembly is not an assembly of the living God, if it's a dead assembly, then go find a new assembly. If you're part of a dead church, find an alive church, a living. We serve a living God. You know, as we come together, <laughs> I told you is my favorite, favorite uh, time of the week. I like, uh, I like watching Pooh Bear movies, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. He's probably my favorite, one of my favorite. Um, characters, and and the things that he says sometimes is just really good. And in one of his movies, he meets Christopher Robin, and he says to him, he says, because he'd been looking for him, and he goes, oh, you're just in time for the best part of the day. And Christopher Robin goes, well, and what time is that? And Winnie the Pooh goes, when you and me become we. The best part of the day, when you and me become we. That's the assembly. Together. Not individually and alone. I know you don't often hear about Winnie the Pooh in a sermon. but In worship, we were getting all Tigger with it. (laughs) I said you need to find a living church and a live church. A church that believes the Word. A church that stands on the Word. A church that's not going to back down from the Word, okay? And I want you to be very, very clear about something. As a pastor in this house, I do not think that everybody that comes to this building ought to be a part of this church. I believe that the Lord has a divine place for you to be a part of. And that for you to truly be effective in the body, in the kingdom work that He's called you to be, you need to be in the house of God that He has designated for you to be in. For some of you, that's here. For some of you, that's somewhere else. but You don't run away from where the Lord would have you to be, or you don't resist where the Lord would have you to be because of your ideas. But you seek the Lord and you say Lord where do you want me to be planted? And then you go where he tells you to go. And if you belong to this house and you feel like the Lord is telling you to go be planted somewhere else, come talk to me. We'll pray through it together. We'll find the right way and if the Lord's telling you to and that's what the Lord is saying, I will help you go. We'll help it. We'll help you reach what the Lord is wanting you to reach. Sometimes it seems like pastors have the idea that they think everyone should come to their church. It's good that they they have a prejudiced mindset that their church is the best, right? I once, when we were pastoring in Colorado, I told them that if they find a better church to be a part of, to come let me know because I'm going too. So verse 15, how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Look at this next line, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. A church assembly, maybe I should just for the rest of today, instead of using the word church, use the word assembly, so it really gets into us what that means. Because sometimes we hear the word church and because of our experiences with church, we begin to attach other definitions and meanings to what that is. But when we say church, it means when you're together. That's what it means, when you're together. And so here he is saying that when you are together... That the pillar, it's the pillar in the foundation of the truth. An assembly is supposed to have pillars in it. An assembly is supposed to be built upon the ground. Some translations say the ground of the truth. Or I think as the the BBE, maybe, or I think it's the BBE or ESV says the basis of truth. That's what that foundation of truth is. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And everything is built upon that. Upon the basis of truth. In fact, let's hold our finger here. We're going to come right back there. Or maybe just put it up on the board. Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, um, put verse 18, or no, 17, 17 up. Now, what had happened is Jesus had asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they gave him all these different answers. And finally, he says, yeah, but he's really getting down to what he wants to know, even from you. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, he said, you are, this is in verse 16, Peter answered, he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, he was ahead of his time because most of them didn't have this revelation yet. In verse 17, Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, you don't know this because you're smarter, because, you know, you're just someone told you this or it was written somewhere and you, you came across it in natural knowledge. He says, but my Father in heaven, He is the one that revealed it to you. So it came by divine revelation, by, divine, by the Lord opening up His mind. Is how the understanding of who Jesus is comes. And then he made this great statement. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter. Or, or you could say, because the word translated is pebble. Or stone, little stone. You are little stone. That's his name, Peter. And on this rock, on this mighty rock, or upon this mountain of rock, it would be a literal translation, I will build my church. He's not talking about Peter, he's talking about the revelation of who Jesus is. Upon this revelation of who Jesus is, I will build my church. I will build my assembly upon the revelation of who Jesus is. Now first notice, whose assembly is it? Not Peter's, Jesus. My church, He says. He lays claim to His assembly of people. So we want to be very, very clear here. I know a lot of people say, my church this and my church that. we, We know what they mean. They're talking about identification, the body they belong to. But ownership belongs to Jesus. To the Father of the church. He said, upon this church, upon this rock, I will build My assembly, and the gates or the forces of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose on the earth is already loosed in heaven. So bringing heaven to earth like we said earlier, that's what the church's job and role is. The assembly's role. To bring heaven to earth. As His will is in heaven, so should it be in the earth. So let's come back here now to 1 Timothy where we were at, how people ought to act in the household of God, in the assembly of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. So now you see that foundation is the revelation of who Jesus is, the truth. He is the Word, the Word is truth. So it's upon the Word that is the foundation that everything else gets built on. That's the foundation, the pillars are supposed to be set upon. The structural support, that's what a pillar does. It holds the roof up, it holds the building in place so that the building can serve its function. The building is not about the pillars. The pillars are there to hold the building. Much like bread is not about the salt. What is the pillar in the church? I'm glad you asked that question. If you would put Galatians 2, verse 9, up on the board, I'm going to give you the answer. People are the pillars, especially the fivefold ministry gifts, those are the pillars in the church. The people are the pillars. In fact, as you're going to Galatians 2, I'll read a verse out of Revelations 3 in verse 12 if you're taking notes. Jesus speaks and He says, He who overcomes, I will make him, He's talking about a person, I will make the person a pillar in the temple of my God. So a person here is referred to as a pillar. In Galatians 2, in verse 9, it says, When James, Cephas, and John, now these were disciples, disciples, They were all part of the fivefold ministry gifts. When James, Cephas, and John recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So here we see that these ministry gifts are pillars in the church. And that Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy, and he's saying, here's how you ought to act in the assembly of the living God. In the household of God. That there needs to be pillars built upon the foundation and basis of truth. I'm here to help you understand the importance and value of the local church body. That there's a reason that we insist on meeting even when everything around us is saying don't meet. There's a reason that we come together, there is, a role, there is a role that the pastor or the elders, however many there are, are supposed to fulfill as pillars, and then there is a role that the body is supposed to fulfill in their function. And there is supposed to be a back and forth and a working together in order to successfully accomplish what the Lord has designated to us to do. And if we fail to come together, we will not successfully accomplish what He's asked us to do. Or at best, it will be delayed. We have a lot of Scriptures to get to, so don't think I'm giving you opinion just yet. The pillar and foundation of truth, Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians 4, and I'm going to try to just move more quickly. Ephesians 4, we've been looking at these verses as we had been in a series of growing up. And of us growing up, maybe we'll include this one in that. But as we grow up, we were looking at how does this happen? Well, part of... Well, let's see here in Ephesians 4, in verse 11. He personally, talking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles. This is the five-fold ministry gift. If you don't know what the fivefold is, here it is. Some to be apostles, some prophets, some preachers, or evangelists is the word... And some shepherds or pastors, is what a lot of translations will say, and teachers. So there's five of them. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Here is their role. This is what they do. They do not do the work of the ministry. That is the sheep's job. Their job is to equip, to perfect the sheep, so that they can do the work of the ministry which will result in unity in the body of Christ. The pillars in the church aren't supposed to be off doing all the work of those things. They are to be doing a very specific type of work. And we're going to get through a lot of Scriptures here on what those things are. But let's look at this on, in verse eleven, uh, 12. Here's what they are supposed to do, the fivefold. For the training or the perfecting of the saints. For the equipping of the saints in doing what? In the work of the ministry. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Not measured by Christ's finger, but by the whole body. It's measured. It's the whole, the part put together. This is the assembly doing their job because the pillars have done theirs. So, as as pastor in this house, or as the other elders and pastors in this house, we have a very specific role to accomplish here. Let me ask a question. You can go to Hebrews 10. Do you have to go to church in order to be a Christian? No one's brave enough to answer, so I'll I'll answer. No, you don't. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. However, the trade-off is this. You're going to be weak and anemic and ineffective and scattered and weary and worn out. That'll be the lot that you have chosen for yourself. But you do not have to gather with other believers to call Jesus your Lord Let me say that differently. To call Him your Savior. Because if you're going to call Him your Lord, that means you're going to submit to Him, and then that also means that you will gather with other believers. Because if you don't gather with other believers, then you're not submitted to Him. Because that's not assembling. My assembly, He said. He didn't say my individual. I know, we don't like that, but it's still what He said. You know, we love it. Thank you. Thank you. There are some that don't like it. We love it. Thank you, Karen. Here in Hebrews 10, this is popular verses that in verses 24 and 5. Now, we're going to start in 19. But verses 24 and 5 are the popular verses for why people should continue gathering together. And yeah, we've read them. We know them. Probably most of you could quote them by memory. Those of you who have gone through uh, LTS, that's a leadership training school, um, you've memorized that verse and... um, by the way, if you, if you are interested in growing in your relationship with the Father and cultivating a lifestyle of learning and studying the things of God, I urge you to sign up, be part of, of LTS. And if you want to know about how do I do that, where do I find it, uh, Kelly, wave it, everyone up here on the front, talk to her, and she'll get you set up with that. Here in verse 19, remember, what are we talking about? We're answering the question of the importance of the assembly. We know that you as an individual are very, very valuable to the Father. Your value is measured in the value of Jesus Christ. He died for you, the individual. However, it is as you individuals, you singular, you come together into the assembly, it is only then that you are able to fulfill what the Father has mandated for us to do. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand. Well, how many can a hundred put to flight? Here in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that He has inaugurated for us through the curtain that is His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Don't we have a great high priest? He ever lives to make intercession for you and I. He loves you the individual. He is our high priest. Verse 22. Let us. That's us together plural, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from our meetings or assemblies, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other. Here's what's supposed to be happening in our assemblies: Encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as the times get scarier, all the more we should be gathering. In spite of coronavirus, in spite of the death rates and the contagiousness of what they were predicting in the very beginning we wanted to assemble. Because we know that there is encouragement here. We know that as we gather together, there is also a protection here. You say, well, what about the people that went to church and got coronavirus? Well, I am grateful that there are scriptures that talk about once you are tangled in the net that there's deliverance. And I'm grateful for verses that say that He heals all our diseases. So even if you find yourself with a sickness or a disease, there is a way out of that too. But there's also scriptures and promises of protection. And so rather than looking at people and saying, well, why didn't it work for you? How about just looking at the word and believing what he said and saying, it will work for me. I believe you, Lord. Like I said, I know that I am preaching to the choir when I'm telling you the importance of gathering together. yet it needs to be on record and I cannot help, but as I was praying last night about this, I believe the Lord was telling me that part of the reason He wants me to preach this message is because He wants it on record, He wants it on our audio recording, and He wants it to go out to people that may not be here. So be bold to take the sermon or to send it to people, other pastors, other churches that are now sitting here going, well, should we open? Should we not? Is it safe? Is it not? Be, encourage them. They need each other. We don't want to be left the only ones, right? We want them to rise up and be in strength and don't sit in condemnation of it. Encourage them. Man, now's the time. Today's the day of salvation. The Lord, He will deliver us. So what's supposed to happen? We encourage each other. We are to provoke each other, like poking each other with a stick is what that word means. To provoke each other to love and good works. Like when you jab a cow with a stick and it moves, right? I was raised on the farm, for those of you who wonder what that that is. And we'd have cows and sheep and we'd use, you know, the cattle prod and you jab them and they move. And you get a response from them. That is what is supposed to be happening as we gather together that we get a response from each other to do love and good works. A provoking and an encouraging each other. You need to come with your faith turned on to receive from the Lord. And for us in... This microwave culture of everything is instant and now, it's pretty easy for us to see that. Go, yeah, I'm going to go to church and I am going to receive from the Lord. I'm going to hear a teaching. I'm going to hear a word and I'm going to receive. However, you are to come also in faith to be able to encourage somebody in the Lord. You should come with the expectation that I am going to provoke people to love and to good works. I am going to encourage people to stand and be strong. I am, the Lord is going to use me. I mean, if you came and you're on our service teams and you didn't have your faith turned on for that, I mean, hello. This is what you're doing. This is what our service teams are doing. Is this helpful to anyone? Or Okay. All right, this is good. Thank you for the encouragement. See how easy that was? <laughs> Encourage each other. That's right. So why should I go to church? Well, we answered the question. You don't have to go to be a Christian. However, if you go, you'll be provoked to love and to do good works and to be encouraged and you'll be able to be used by the king to do that to others. That is fulfilling to be able to go away and feel like, man, the Lord uses me today to encourage them. The Lord used me to, you know, so often you have that thing come up on the inside. I should tell them that I, I appreciate that about them. Or, or you just have this prompting that you almost think maybe the Lord wants me to tell that to him, but then you talk yourself out of it. Because maybe the anointing has subsided and it was during the middle of the service and now afterward everyone's talking and laughing and they really do seem to be having a good time they don't seem discouraged at all so I, don't, I think that must have been just me no, no, this is the spirit of God on the inside of you don't quench that be bold and go. just tell them You know, I don't know if this means anything to you or not but the Lord says he has his eye on you and, and he is pleased with you you may be amazed what that does for them on the inside <clears throat> so we're going to come At the assembly, we're going to encounter the living God together. The living God. He was called the living God. The assembly of the living God. We expect that when we assemble, there is a living God present. Because He said, wherever two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. He also, we're going to come with the expectation of being encouraged and giving encouragement. We're going to come with the expectation of ministering to the Lord. Singing to the Lord. How many... Enjoy worshiping and singing. You know, we're being told right now we ought not sing. You could have church, just don't sing. Oh, dream on. That's what they're telling us. You can have church, but you shouldn't sing because all that exhaling, all the germs that are coming out. I know, it's laughable, isn't it? Maybe you ask the question, well, why can't I just watch... The sermon online, like many of the sermons, uh, now you can listen to them online, or you can go to YouTube. You can find all kinds of amazing teachings that will cause you to grow and develop. And I use teachings, audio teachings, all the time. I mean, this is a big part of my diet is listening to teachings and listening to audio. And and I read the Word, I listen to the Word, I listen to sermons, and when I'm wanting to. preach on a subject and i know that i'm going to do a series on a subject i like to listen to other ministers and what did they teach on this subject and i can gain nuggets of truth from what they've taught and come and share them with you and you know nothing is new with the lord it's all just reshared truths and how many times have you shared something and then forgotten it and later come back and it's like new again to you well why can't i not just have church online why do i have to come to the building? when it's out here amongst all these viruses? And we're going to answer that question. I'm going to answer it first in my language, and then we're going to look at Scripture verses for it. Let's go uh, turn in your Bible to First Thessalonians chapter 3. Actually, go to First Thessalonians chapter 2 first. Now, I'm going to give you the answer. Why do we need to meet in person rather than just face-to-face? I mean, rather than just over the Internet, you know, live streaming or something. There is something that takes place in a face-to-face encounter that cannot take place over the Internet or by video or by audio or over the telephone. There is something that takes place when we are face-to-face. Let me make it real clear. There is things that take place and a communion that take place between me and my wife, Jen, that do not take place when I am traveling around the world on mission trips. We FaceTime, we talk by phone, we do those things. Why can we not just live our married life over the internet? Ridiculous, isn't it? It's just that ridiculous that people think they could live their church life over the internet. Because there's something that takes place in the face-to-face encounter that it cannot take place over those things. Does that mean that prayer... I, sure, you can pray for people over the internet and, and the Lord can touch them where they're at. All of that, absolutely. You know, we say, well, there's no distance in the Spirit. That's right. But since we also have flesh, we need to bring those together. That's right. You know, a man and a wife become one flesh, not one spirit. I know it sometimes gets preached that they become one spirit, but it's not true. The word only says they become one flesh. They're still two different spirits. One flesh. Well, as we come together, no, we're not one flesh in that way, but we become the body of Christ assembled. It's the assembly. It's together. Now, I'm going to give you some illustrations here in in 1 Thessalonians. Did you find it? In chapter 2. Here is something in verse 17 and 18. Now Paul was really wanting to come and see the Thessalonian church. It's in Thessalonica. It was the assembly there. He wants to come and so he's written this letter to them. And this letter that he wrote is the equivalent to our modern day Skype call. Okay, <laughs> It was the best technology that they had to communicate with each other was written letter. It was the most accurate way, it was the most up to date way, it was the fastest way they could communicate at that time was by written letter. And so that is what he is doing. He is communicating to them by the technology that they had. If they would have had Skype, believe me, he would have been Skyping them. But I'm quite confident that he wouldn't have been satisfied with that because of what he says here. So before, before we're actually going to read where we're going, I wanted you to see this. In verse 17, he says, but as for us, brothers, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, see, he makes the distinction, you know, flesh versus spirit, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. See, if it doesn't matter, if there's just no distance in the Spirit and that's good enough, then he wouldn't have tried to go see them face to face. He would have written a letter and said, that's enough. I mean, because after all, this exact letter is what we call the Word of God and that we can read it and it will build us up. So surely he is writing to them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the words of God to them. Surely that's enough. He doesn't have to go see them. But he has it real strong in his heart to have a face to face meeting. And it appears that there is someone else that doesn't want that face-to-face meeting to take place. Let's read the next verse. So, we uh, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. He doesn't like the face-to-face meeting. It's why it's hard to get up Sunday morning. No, that's not true. That's just your flesh. Because you were up too late the night before. Don't blame on the devil what's, what's your flesh. The devil gets blamed for a lot of stuff that's not him. He does. I mean, James says that when it's your flesh. In, in James chapter 1, you can read it today for homework. All right, let's go to chapter 3, Thessalonians chapter 3. So Satan was hindering their getting together. So we don't want to fall into his will, do we? I understand, you know, if the authorities showed up here and shot everybody, or at least part of us, but not everyone, and, and we were all going to be arrested and thrown in prison if we showed up here, we would go about assembling in a different way. We would figure out an underground hidden way to assemble, but we wouldn't just stay at home and alone. We would figure out a way to do it in secret like the church has been doing, like the assembly has been doing for thousands of years in other countries and still today. Here in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3, let's look down at verse 10. So he's still talking about coming to see them. He's still wanting to come see them. And he makes this statement, he says, we pray earnestly night and day to see you face to face. Now why? Why? We've asked this question a little bit ago. What is so important that's going to happen in that face-to-face encounter that would not happen just by writing a letter or sending them the Word of God? Here he goes on and tells us. He says, to complete what is lacking in your faith. There is a building up. Something happens in that face-to-face meeting that completes, perfects, brings to completion on the inside of you your faith. When you are encouraged, you are a lot more likely to be in faith than when you are discouraged. Go with me over to 2 John, the book of 2 John. In chapter 1, verse 12. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you and talk face-to-face. To face. Now, the literal translation here is mouth to mouth. Like a close encounter. Person to person. I want to talk to you. Face to face. And why would he say that? So that our joy may be complete. There's a joy that comes from assembling with other believers. I mean, I am sure that probably most, if not all of us, could raise our hands, all the hands that we have and plus a whole bunch more, to this question that I'm going to ask. How many times have you come to a service or a home group meeting and it has just been an uphill fight to get there and you didn't feel like going and, and then you arrive and when it was all said and done, you go, wow, I'm so glad I came. I mean, that was just for me, and right? So that your joy may be complete. And something that sitting at home on the couch, just watching a teaching, would not have done for you. The value of us assembling and being the assembly of the living church is a real and viable thing. And you go away encouraged from it. Let's go over to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, and let's look at verse 11. Paul is writing to the Roman church, and he says, For I want very much to see you. Someone say, see you. you. Now here he starts giving the reasons what's going to happen in that face-to-face seeing each other. He says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, here's the reason for it, to strengthen you. Remember, I asked the question, do you have to go to church if you're a Christian? No, you don't have to. First of all, you get to. It's a privilege. And what happens if you do, you will be encouraged, you will be strengthened, you will be used by the Lord, you will be fulfilled, you will fulfill your calling and destiny. Spiritual gifts will be imparted to you. This is why he wanted to meet them face to face, to impart, to give something to them. And what would it do? To strengthen you. Then he goes on, he goes, that is to be mutually encouraged. See, a little bit ago we'd encouraged each other, right? Mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So we're not going to be doing online dating, (laughs) right? Because that's what it's equivalent of. It's just, while that meets a need, it just doesn't cut it, right? I mean, you could go to the majority of the churches that have made this choice to go to a live stream, that I'm quite confident most of those people that are on there would tell you, yeah, it's, it's, it's good and everything and I'm glad we have it, but it just does, it's not the same. We want to get together again. They, would all, they could all stand and testify to that, I'm Sure. Alright, let's, let's shift gears now and let's look at the pastor's responsibility to you, the sheep. My responsibility, if, if you're a sheep in this house, my responsibility to you. Or if you're of another house, then your shepherd's responsibility to you. Let's go to John 21. There's a great jumping off place for this. What is the pastor's responsibility to the sheep? In John 21... And verse 15, you know the story of how Peter had denied Christ three times, and now comes a threefold restoration to him, a a question and answer session with him, that if you put yourself in Peter's shoes, I in front of Jesus said I didn't know him, not once, not twice, but three times. I didn't see He was watching or listening to me until after the third time He turned and looked at me. And then I went out and wept bitterly and hated myself. Because the one that I loved beyond anyone else, I had just betrayed. Can you imagine the level of condemnation that was on Him? No wonder, He says, even after the resurrection and <laughs> the good news about, Yes! Jesus isn't dead. Guys, I'm going fishing. I need to go clear my head. Go do something I was good at. Really? I don't know. You fished all night and didn't catch anything, but <laughs> nearly sank in a storm. I don't know. Maybe you should stick to preaching, Peter. They go fishing. Jesus shows up. You know the story. And then after breakfast, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. And in verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I guess his fishing boat, I don't know. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, this is not the point of the sermon. I'll just point it out since we're going through here. Jesus used the word love, agape, in the Greek, which means like um, unconditional love. It's the God kind of love. But Peter answers him back With phileo, which is sentimental love, which is like family love that you have, not unconditional love. So let's say it a different way. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Jesus, you know I like you. So then Jesus gives him an instruction. He says, feed my lambs, the little ones, the little sheep, the brand new ones. Feed them, feed them. Verse 16, a second time he asked him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I like you. He doesn't consider himself to be worthy of saying, I love you, because I proved I didn't. I proved it wasn't unconditional. So I'm just going to go with like, the sentimental kind, because that's what I showed. That's what he's operating from right here. Jesus doesn't let it uh, stop him at seeing What's way beyond what's going on here. (laughs) I love it. So he says to him, he goes, you know that I like you. And Jesus says, shepherd my sheep, he tells him. Shepherd them. The sheep, that's the young and the old. Verse 17, he asks him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you like me? Jesus changed it from that unconditional love to he meets Simon at where Simon's at. Isn't that beautiful? That he meets Simon at where Simon is, is able to stand. He says, do you like me? <laughs> and uh, Simon Peter is grieved and he says, he was grieved that he'd ask him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything, you know that I like you. And then he gives them the instruction, feed my sheep. So first, he tells him, and this is the point of what, why we're looking at this scripture. He tells them to feed the little, the little ones. And then he tells them to shepherd the flock. What does shepherd mean? It means to feed, it means to tend, it means to care, it means to rule over. That is what the shepherd is supposed to do. Now, in our American culture, we don't like that kind of language. Rule over? Really? Yep, it's that strong. It's that strong. That's what the shepherd is to do. The shepherd does not ask the sheep, sheep, where do you want to go eat today? Well, we like that pasture over there. Okay, that's what I'll feed you. That's not what the shepherd does, right? The shepherd feeds what he believes is best for the sheep. He leads them to the green pasture. He leads them to the still water. Now, the sheep can stand there and go, I'm not eating. This ain't the one I wanted. Well, all right, go hungry. The sheep can even go, I'm going to run away. And then he tells him to feed the flock. Feed the lambs, shepherd them, feed the, feed the adult sheep. And so this is the word, the word shepherd is the word pastor. Pastor my sheep. You could just read, that's what, that's what the word shepherd, when you, when you find the word pastor in Scripture, it means the word shepherd. Feed, tend, care, rule over. That's what a pastor's title is. That's what the word shepherd means or pastor means. And Jesus said, I, you know, I made some statements earlier and I want to now give you two scriptures for it. You can write them down. We're not going to turn there. I said that if you don't go to a church, yes, you can be a Christian. You don't have to go to a church to be a Christian. However, you will be weary, you will be worn out, and you'll be scattered. Jesus said in Matthew 9.36, and if you're writing down the reference, you can also write down Matthew 26.31. And in 9.36, Jesus made this state, or when He saw, it says, when He saw the crowds, He felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are weary and worn out. If you don't want to be weary and worn out, step number one, find yourself a sheep. I mean, a shepherd a shepherd. Find yourself a sheep pen. A flock. Okay? Find yourself a flock. Find yourself a shepherd. But notice it doesn't say that sheep without a flock are weary and worn out. It says sheep without a shepherd. Why? Because the shepherd is tending, caring, feeding. In the, in the other Scripture I gave you in Matthew 26.31, Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will run away because of Me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, Jesus was the shepherd here, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. What happens when the shepherd is gone? The sheep are scattered. There's no one to lead them. No one's in charge. And so they become scattered and weary and worn out. So the role of the shepherd is to see to it that they're fed Now again, the responsibility to receive from the shepherd lies with the sheep. Because Jesus was feeding, but not everyone ate. Let's go to Hebrews 13. See, we shouldn't have and operate in our ideas of things. We should operate in what the Word tells us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You see all things. Now, you know all things. And we just heard that siren go by, Lord, you know, we don't know what or where they're going or what the situation is, but you do. And I just ask that your peace would reign on that situation and that your life would prevail in that situation. I thank you for it. If there be anyone near that situation that is one of yours, Father, stir up in them in boldness right now. To take the action that you need there on the ground. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. All right, Hebrews 13 and verse uh, 17. Let's look here. Verse 17 says Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, so that as those who will give an account, So that they may do this with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. If you could um, find that, verse 17, in the NLT and be ready with it. You don't need to put it up just yet. Here in verse 17 of chapter 13, we see that it says, obey your leaders. Well, this is not talking, we do have scripture that tells us to obey our civil leaders, but this is not talking about a civil leader. Because the civil leader is not watching out for your soul. This is talking about the assembly leaders. And they watch out for your souls. They are going to give an account. I will give an account for you if you're one of my sheep. I say my sheep, the Lord's sheep. I'm an under-shepherd, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more soon. But one of the sheep that I have been put has been put into my care. I'll have to give an account, Lord. What, how did I manage that? What did I do? And I'm going to stand before the Lord on that. And you know what I'm not going to have to answer for? Is whether or not you obeyed or submitted or how you responded to me. I'm just going to have to answer for how I responded. To what the call was placed upon me. My responsibility to the sheep. Or in, if you're in your house, your shepherd's responsibility to you, the sheep. Obey. That's not a real popular word today. Obey. Obey those leading you, or your leaders. So there's likely more than one. Obey your leaders. He's writing to a group of people in assembly, and he's telling them to obey their leaders. But, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. We're going to leave that and come back to it. Let's look right now, at still in this verse, because... we're going to look at that side of it but that's the cheap side of it and i'm getting sidetracked i need to stay on the shepherd side of it for right now let's go to the back part of the verse he says for they keep watch they guard they constantly keep watch over your soul and they're going to give an account for you so your soul is your mind your 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 mind your will your emotions your personality that's your soul And your shepherd is supposed to feed you with the Word so that you can be renewed in your mind. He is supposed to teach the Word so that it has a renewing effect in your mind. So that you can fulfill the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. Uh, You can put that up in the NLT. I want to see uh, how this reads says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your soul. So your shepherd needs to be watching, needs to be alert, watchful. And they are accountable to God. G- give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Now, how many want to benefit from your, from your pastor, from your shepherd? All right, there's, there's how you do it. <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Peter. I need to move faster. Lord help me. 1 Peter 5, and let's look at verse 1. Again, we are looking at the shepherd's responsibility to the flock that has been put into his care. Here in verse 1 of of 1 Peter 5, therefore, as a fellow elder, okay, a fellow minister, a fellow pastor, elder is kind of an inclusive term of all these. "...a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you." So so we see that there are supposed to be elders, ministers, shepherds. Now he tells them, "...shepherd God's flock among you." So if you're here as a shepherd, do we have any pastors here from other churches?" This morning, raise your hand, wave at me. Yes? Okay. So elders. We have an elder. So here, the instruction would be shepherd. So tend, feed, rule over, care for. God's flock. God's flock. I've circled that in my Bible. Because as a shepherd, I don't ever want to lose sight of who the sheep are. Who they belong to. God's flock. Jesus said, my assembly, my sheep, know my voice. So the sheep in this house don't belong to me. Yes, I'm responsible for them, but they don't belong to me. So shepherd, tend, feed, care for, rule over, God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but not because you have to, but freely according to God's will, not for the money, so apparently there's some money involved, so that, but that's not your motivation. He says, but do it eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you. So there are those, as a shepherd, there are those entrusted to you. They're put in your care, but you are, even though as a shepherd to rule over, the shepherd is not to lord it over them. You know, Jesus said to His disciples, those that want to be the greatest need to be the servant." He said, the Gentiles, they sit here and they sit back and rule over. He said, but you, as a leader, have to be a servant of all. You're serving. Does that mean you go to, as a pastor, you go wash everyone's car? No, because that would not be effective service to the body. They are supposed to operate in the role of the pillar, and in that pillar form, serve the body and uphold the structure of the building. The house of God. The assembly. The assembly. and they do that by giving them the word by instructing and and other things that we'll see here he goes on and he says not lording it over those entrusting to you but being examples to the flock ah here we have it the pastor is supposed to be an example paul said follow me as i follow christ be imitators of me as i imitate christ So following the shepherd's example, so obviously he is supposed to be an example. And when the chief shepherd, that would be Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's why I said I'm an under-shepherd, because he's the chief shepherd. So under-shepherd means following someone else's rules, submitting to him. So it's God's flock, we see that. And we see that we're going to shepherd them. We're going to be examples and not with greedy motives. Acts 20. Still looking at the pastor's responsibility. The importance. What are we learning today? The importance, the value of the local church. How the local church is supposed to re- interact with each other, their functions and roles, the why it's valuable, and even shoe leather, how it's supposed to operate. <clears throat> Here in Acts 20, let's look at verse 28. He is talking to a a group of pastors. He says, be on guard. So what's the pastor going to do? He's going to guard. Guard what? Well, he goes and tells them, be on guard for yourself. So you're supposed to keep and guard yourself. And for all the flock. You're supposed to guard them. You're supposed to protect them. That's what a guard does. He's watching. He's alert. He's looking for dangers that would threaten the flock. Among whom, the flock, the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd, here's the action they're supposed to take, feed, tend, care, rule over, to shepherd the assembly of God, which which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men from among yourselves will rise up with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. So the pastor's role is protection. Now, I'm going to tell you something about a pastor. If the pastor says something is not safe, be very, very careful before you violate what he says. He sees something, obviously, that you don't see. Why would he see that? Why would he see danger in that? Because he has an anointing on his life to see it. An anointing you do not have on your life as the flock. But God is giving him the ability to see what you don't see on the danger side. He's, he's told him to be alert, to watch, to protect, to guard. You know, as the husband or the man of your house, the head of your home, you may see a danger in something that your children, even adult children, don't see. Because there is an anointing on your life for that role in the home. So don't just dismiss it, oh, that he, you know, stuffy old pastor. He's just always telling us, don't, you know, be careful for this, watch out for that. No, that's that's not... Here in verse 31, he says, Be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I did not stop warning each one of you with tears. This is Paul speaking. So he apparently warned again and again and again. And his love for them is evident by his tears here. Am I saying pastors need to cry? Um, No, that's not what I'm saying. However, a pastor should not be hard-hearted neither. All right. All right. Let's look at a bunch more scriptures. 1 Timothy. Say, so when are we going to be done? <clears throat> I'll tell you. When we get there. Are we there yet? No. Oh. 1 Timothy. The last part of this is not going to be as long as the first part. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, keep in mind that Paul is writing to pastors here, he is writing to the pastors. And he's writing to Pastor Timothy and to the other pastors that are there, the other bishops and leaders and, and elders that are there. And so Paul gives them instructions. And in chapter 3, the um, and, and here's why I say he's writing to Pastor Timothy. It's in his name. It's addressed to him, right, to Timothy. Now, I believe they probably read it to the church. I don't know, but it's certainly, if you're a pastor... Man, read Timothy, read Titus. Those are instructions to pastor if you're an elder, if you're a shepherd. So here in chapter 3 and verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, An able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's assembly? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So here we see outlined how a pastor is supposed to live, how an elder or a shepherd is supposed to live. And it's also the reason that he says you should, they, they should be your example. Does this mean that somehow the shepherd is more holy than everyone else? No. You know, the biggest problem, the biggest trouble with pastors and elders and shepherds and preachers, is that they're just like the flock. They too have flesh. And all the things the flock deals with. And they're just like them. But yet, the Lord has put upon them an anointing to do a certain job. And so they are called to a standard of holy living. But we should not put them on a pedestal of, you know, they are unable to sin. They just whatever... You know, they're God. No, no. It shouldn't be that way. And if you see that a shepherd does wrong and sins, you shouldn't act so shocked about it. Is it okay for them to do that? No. But neither is it okay for you to do it. Because remember, this is how they're supposed to live and what are you supposed to do? Act just like that. Imitate it. So suddenly that we're all called to live like this. However, if you come across someone that's not living like that, don't put that person in as a shepherd, he's saying. There is a qualification. If you look down in verse 15, of course, that's where we started, right? And he's just telling them there's a right way to act in the house of God, the assembly of the living God, pillar and the foundation of the church. Let's go down to chapter 4 and look at verse 11. Now here he's telling the shepherd what to do. Command and teach these things. Well, earlier in verse 6 he said that, you know, if, if you, they're going to be teaching you and nur- you're going to be nourished by the words of faith and good teaching. So... The words of faith they teach, the good teaching they teach is going to feed you. Verse 11, command and teach these things. No one should despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example. Shepherds are to be examples to the believers in the way they talk, in the way they act, in the way they love. I'm paraphrasing. It says in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading. And preaching and teaching. It is hard to do public reading, preaching and teaching when you haven't assembled. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Be conscientious about yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for by doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. Listen, if you belong in this house or you belong in another house, you need to be there when they're having service. When they are assembled, you need to hear what is being said there. You need to be at your house to hear what is being said. Because what is being said is going to encourage you. It's going to nourish you. It's going to cause you to have strength. It's going to cause you to not be weak and weary. It's going to cause you to be focused and effective. And it's going to also cause you to be saved. It'll save you and your hearer is what he says here. And then he gives instructions and he says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. He's talking to a shepherd here. Just because you're a shepherd don't mean you're just going to chew him out. But exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and with all propriety or purity, the younger women as sisters. So those are instructions to pastors. If you page to the right, a few pages to Titus chapter one, more instructions to pastors. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was to do something. Let's see what that was. To set right what was left undone, and as I directed you to appoint elders, shepherds in every town, someone who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. For an overseer as God's manager, remember it's God's sheep, and He is their managing, As God's manager must be blameless, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful Word as taught, so that He will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. For there are also many rebellious people, idle talkers and deceivers, especially those from Judaism. It is necessary to silence them. They overthrow whole households by teaching for dishonest gain what they should not. One of their very own prophets said, "Cretians are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. (laughs) So rebuke them sharply, talking to the shepherd, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commandments of men who reject the truth. So instructions. Let's go back a page to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. More instructions to the shepherd. He says, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes. The word is stupid. Stupid disputes. Knowing that they breed strife. The Lord's slave must not quarrel. He must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance to know the truth. And then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him at his will. Chapter 3, let's look at verse 10, more instructions to shepherds. This is how the shepherd is supposed to function with the sheep. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with The persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystria, What persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that's certainly true today. But as for you, as for you, shepherd... Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing those from whom you learned, and that from childhood you have known the sacred Scriptures, which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, His kings, His He is King. It is His domain. It's His kingdom. I solemnly charge you, speaking to the shepherd, preach the word, persist in it, whether convenient or not. We could apply that to today, right? Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience. And teaching. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itching in their hearing. And they'll turn away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, shepherd, keep a clear head about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The pastor, the shepherd, is to use the word... For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training. Teaching tells you the road to walk on. Rebuking tells you that you've gotten off the road. Correction tells you how to get back on the road. Training tells you how to stay on the road. That's all of the things your pastor is supposed to be doing with you. Let's go back to Hebrews 13 now. As we begin... The last part of the sermon. Hey, we made it through two thirds of it. You're still with me. Now we're going to look at the responsibility of the sheep to the shepherd. Responsibility of the sheep to the shepherd. And everybody ought to have a shepherd, even the pastor needs to have a shepherd. He needs to have a shepherd that he's under. Someone he's submitted to. Someone say, my responsibility responsibility. to my shepherd. shepherd. Hebrews 13, let's look at verse 7. It says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. So clearly he's not talking civil leaders. He is talking the assembly leaders, your shepherds. Remember your leaders. So that is now the assumption is made that you, the sheep, have a leader. So that means you're part of an assembly and that means you have a leader. There is an individual that you are submitted to. If you cannot name the individual that you're submitted to, find one. Okay, find the shepherd. Because that'll keep you from being weary and worn out. It'll keep you encouraged and full of faith. Okay, so remember your leaders who have spoken God's Word to you as you carefully observe not blindly follow carefully observe the outcome of their lives imitate their faith that's been part of the problem with putting the leader the pastor the shepherd on a on a pedestal that he should not be on because then you wind up committing his sins too we don't want to do that carefully observe it and then imitate it we don't just blindly follow It has to be in accordance with the Word. You know, there's a Scripture verse, I don't have it pulled up, so I can't tell you the reference, but how that they preached the Word, and He loved how that they diligently sought out in the Scripture to see if the things they said were so. I love that, because they're more committed to the truth than they are to a person. And then verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, see, As they imitate Him, He doesn't change. He's the same. As they imitate Him, you can imitate them. But ultimately, because He's imitating Christ, that's who you're imitating. Now jump down to verse 17. We already read this earlier and I started expounding and gotten ahead of myself. I was at that time talking to shepherds. Now we're talking to the sheep. The sheep's role to the shepherd. Their responsibility to the shepherd. Verse 17. Obey those leading you. (laughs) Excuse me. Obey those leading you. That means you have a leader. That means that you're going to have the option not to obey. It's not forced. The shepherd should not be forcing obedience or forcing submission. That's a choice you make. And if you make the wrong choice, yeah, you'll answer for it. He won't. You will. So obey those leading you and submit to them. Did you know that submission and obedience are really unpopular in our culture? We all want to be independent and to make our own decisions, which has its merits in good places. However, in the assembly, that's not how it's supposed to operate. Also in the home, there is a headship in the home. Wives submit to their husbands. Doesn't say husbands force them to submit. It's their choice. Children, obey your parents as is fitting in the Lord. See, that's what it also says about the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That means if your husband or your parent is telling you to do something that's not fitting in the Lord, it's not right in the Lord, it's wrong. I want you to go out and I'll just make it real simple. Go, go lie or go steal something. What? No, you don't submit to that. That's not fitting in the Lord. That's where you do not submit. Don't meet for church. No, you don't submit to that. That's where you submit to Him who said meet. Yeah. You know, just because if, if a father in a home tells the children, I want you to go out and um, to steal something. Well, the Word says submit to the Father, so obviously He has to go steal it. No! As is fitting in the Lord. Same way for the assembly. You're going to submit to your shepherd as is fitting in the Lord. If he starts teaching a false doctrine, then it needs dealt with. Okay? It needs dealt with. But you do not just blindly submit. However, if you do not have a right or wrong issue... Now we're talking a submission issue. See, submission is not agreement. As long as you agree with the pastor, agree with your parent, agree with the one who's over you, as long as you agree with them, it's not submitting, it's agreeing with. You do not have an opportunity to submit to someone until you disagree. I don't think it should be done that way. I don't think that's what God's telling us to do in our church. Now, finally, now, you have an opportunity to submit to the shepherd. Because before, you just agreed with everything he did. It is only at your disagreement that you are now commanded to submit. The word submit means to come under their mission. Under mission. That's what the word submission means. Sub means under, mission is, well, mission. Submission, under the mission. If you think submission is an ugly word, it's not. Everybody is called to submission, even the shepherd. Everyone is called to submission. And there's so much freedom and protection and joy in it. There is a grace to walk in submission. So, but as sheep, you will obey and submit to those leading you and with joy because if you don't do it with joy it wouldn't be profitable for you is what the verse goes on and says we've read it several times it's pretty strong isn't it but it's true let's look at more scriptures 1st Thessalonians 1st Thessalonians 5 how we are to respond to the shepherd interact with the shepherd what's our responsibility with the shepherd. Remember, all of this is under the, what are we learning today? The importance of the local assembly. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12, now we ask you brothers, this translation says to give recognition. Um, the King James, I believe, says to know those who labor among you. And lead you in the Lord, but the word to give recognition or to know is the word, it means to see, it means to pay attention to, pay attention to. So as sheep, you're going to know, see, pay attention to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord. Now that word lead, the literal translation is rule over, rule over you in the Lord and admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So you're going to pay attention, to see, to know them. And you will esteem them. There needs to be that person in your life. Esteem them. The NLT says it this way, esteem them very highly in love. This word is used in a multitude of different ways in Scripture. Um, it is often used in conjunction with some sort of uh, honor given to someone in a position of authority. It's often used in conjunction with authority. So we're going to esteem them. Let's go to 1 Timothy 5. <clears throat> See, these are the things that my flesh would like to be uncomfortable Because it could look self-serving. I'm telling you that this is the word of the Lord. And if I don't give you the whole counsel. You know then I'm not giving you the whole truth. And so my responsibility is to feed you the whole counsel of the Lord. And I'm not the one who gets to decide what we learn today. What we. What I teach. Sometimes people say well would you teach on this or would you teach on that. Well like. I've heard someone else say, I don't even teach what I want to teach. Why would I teach what you want me to teach? <laughs> teach what the Lord gives us to teach. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, speaking to the sheep, the elders who are good leaders. Now, understand that he's actually, he wrote this to the shepherd, Timothy, but this is how the other shepherds are to be treated. Timothy is responsible to make sure the other shepherds are treated this way. And as sheep here, you need to know how the shepherds are supposed to be treated. The elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy of double honorarium. The word honor, double honor is the word money paid. It's a literal translation. They should be worthy um, of, of double money paid if they have done something. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says that you must not muzzle an ox that is threshing grain, and that the laborer is worthy of his wages. And then he says, Don't accept. T- uh, Timothy is not to accept an accusation against the other ministers. So if someone comes to him and says, Well, the other minister did so and so, he's not to accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. And then He is to publicly rebuke them if they were wrong. So this is how the shepherds are to be dealt with. So He told the shepherds, shepherds don't do it for the money. But then He says, they ought to be paid double if they're doing a good job. In Galatians 6, 6, we're not going to turn there, Galatians 6, 6 says, the one who is taught the message, the Word, must share all his goods with the teacher. So there is an exchange that takes place. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9. Paul talks about it and details it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going I'm to go faster. 1 Corinthians 9, 1. says, Am I not free? He's speaking of himself. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, like the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Apparently Peter and some of the other guys are taking their wives on them on these trips, but he's saying, what, are we not allowed to do that? And it's obviously inferred that it's not at his own expense. Let's, let's keep reading, you'll see. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Are we the only ones that are supposed to have a side job so that we can continue pastoring? Verse 7. Now, I, I'm real clear on something. Apostle Dale, the founder of Church of the Word International, okay? He's the one who sets my salary. And he does a wonderful job at that. We are well compensated. We are blessed. This is not for you to think, oh, um, pastor needs a raise. Okay. So I can teach real boldly and confidently on this point without you thinking I have another motive in mind. Okay. I do have a side business, I have two of them. Amen. Okay. Verse seven. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, this was the law that God gave to Moses, it said, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Why? Because the the ox was supposed to be allowed, as it is treading, to reach down, grab a mouthful of food and eat. And they weren't supposed to put a muzzle on it to keep it from doing that. And he asks the question, is God really concerned about oxen? Or isn't he really saying it for us? Yes, this is written for us. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should do so in the hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this authority over you, don't we even more? Now, he says something. He says, however, we have not used this authority. They have the rights, they just haven't used them. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So, the shepherds the shepherd, shepherds need to be paid their living needs to come from the flock it's required in scripture now paul goes on here and he makes a boast about it he says but i have used none of these rights it's funny that he says the lord commanded this but i didn't do it interesting and i have not written this to make it happen that way for me see i have not preached this to make it happen this way for me He said, For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because an obligation is placed on me, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge, and not make full use of my authority in the gospel? this was how He chose to operate Himself, but this is not how He instructed them to do it. Jesus said when He sent out the twelve or the seventy, He said, Heal the sick, this was His direct words to them, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. This is what the shepherds are supposed to be doing. You have received free of charge, give free of charge, so don't charge for it. Don't charge for it. Don't take along gold, silver, or copper from your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, or a walking stick. For the worker is worthy of his food. Now, later he tells them to take those things along. Okay, and I I realize there was two things and he was teaching two things. But here, the point is, is he is quoting that they're worthy of their hire. The worker is worthy of their hire. Now, we're going to go to two more scriptures and and we'll be closed, I think. Ephesians 4. I've thought wrong before. (laughs) Ephesians 4. But I believe we're getting close. The value of the assembly and how we are to interact with each other and function together. We have been looking at Ephesians 4 quite some time and looking at how we grow up together, looking at the role of the fivefold to the saints, and then the role of the saints. So let's just start in verse 11 again. He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, or pastors, and teachers, for the training of the saints in the work of the ministry, or the work of serving, to build up the body of Christ. This is what the work that is supposed to be... It's is supposed to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little babies. This word for little children is the word for an infant that's not speaking yet. Then we will no longer be little babies tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. Remember, those without children A shepherd, they are weary and worn out and scattered. He's saying, so you won't be that way. You won't be tossed about from every different kind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. There is a settledness that will come to you if you have yourself a shepherd that you obey and are submitted to. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. From Him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. See, the pillars in the church, the fivefold, they cannot do all of that themselves. It requires the flock. The flock cannot do it without the pillars. The pillars cannot do it without the flock. The shepherds. It takes a working together, a proper working of each individual part to be able to fully accomplish and be measured at the stature of the fullness of Christ. To be mature and grown up. I will close here in Corinthians. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know this has been long. You guys have been real troopers for staying with me so long. Real sheep for staying with me so long. Is Trina in here? No? Okay. I'll tell a story about her. Um, When I was put in as a pastor, she comes up and shakes my hand and she goes, I have something to say. I said, okay. She goes, bah. (laughs) Recognizing the place the Lord had put me in in her life. <laughs> bah. is great. 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the body working together. And there is a part here that he puts both in verse 28. It says, um, actually let's start in verse 27 of chapter 12. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it but it's only together god has placed these in the assembly the individual members he has placed in the assembly to the togetherness first apostles and second prophets third teachers next miracles then graces of healings or gifts of healings helps that's the help ministry then there's managing or, or govern governing you know those that the helps ministry, those that are managing things, various kinds of tongues. And, you know, not all are apostles. He asks the question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, the greater graces. And I will show you an even better way. And um, he goes on and talks about love and serving one another in love, and that those things come when we operate in love. But let's back up to verse 28. This is where I wanted to look at. God has placed, He's the one who does it. He is the one who designates your place. Whether it's sheep or one of the fivefold, a pillar or, or one of the flock, He is the one who designates this. And He has placed them in the assembly. And He has a way that He wants them to work together. And there is the pillars. They have their job. But then there is the sheep. There is the grace of helping. The grace of managing. The grace of all these different body gifts that work and flow together to create the building that then accomplishes what the Lord had vision of. Are you seeing this? There is a working together. And if you and I do not assemble... It does not happen. It falls down before it even begins. So while it may seem basic, it is extremely valuable and important in our day and age, in these latter times, that we assemble. That we assemble. That we come together. We encourage. We build up. We link arms. We face the enemy united. We prevail. We overcome because He said, My assembly will prevail and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And we've been promised the victory. I trust that you are full. All right, stand with me and we will dismiss. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us many, many instructions. You've given us the Bible that uh, we can look to for the examples you've laid out so clearly for us. And Lord, I continue to ask you, Father, for revelation and illumination of who Jesus is, who we are in you, and who you are in us, and who we are together, your body. I ask You, Lord, to open up our eyes and ears to the truths that we've heard today, Father, that we would correctly divide Your Word, that Your Word is spirit and life to us, and that we'll go out encouraged. Father, I ask that those that hear this by internet or some other format, that You would bring the revelation that is necessary to them cause the right people to hear it, that it would stir them up to be the assembly that you've called them to be. I thank you for this, Father. I ask that you seal these truths in our spirit and in our soul and that at the right time you would remind us of them, that they would come up on the inside and that they would cause faith to rise up on the inside. I thank You for this, Father. I thank You for Your protection over each one that's here. I thank You that You've assigned angels of protection over this house, over the individuals. Lord, I declare Your peace upon them. I declare Your covenant of life and health over them. Lord, that in all the ways that they go, that You overshadow them with Your wings. Lord, if any of us would start to get away from out from under you or away from you, arrest us on the inside. If we won't listen to you on the inside, send a person to us. Send someone to us, Lord, to bring us back to your shelter. I thank you for these things. I thank you for the covenant of life and health, the covenant of overcoming. In Jesus' name we pray and receive it. And someone say, I believe it. Well, one way that we love God is we love on one another, we encourage each other, and so I invite you all to do that downstairs, we have a, some finger food for you to talk with your mouth full as you encourage each other.
1: Good morning, on this beautiful day the Lord has made, we shall rejoice, what, and be glad in it. Hallelujah! You get to rejoice. Did you know that? Isn't that cool? You get to. Hallelujah. I'd love to encourage you in the word of God before we all worship together as family. In Isaiah chapter 12, it says, behold, God is my salvation. Isn't that a great declaration? I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, everybody say joy. Such a beautiful word. With joy shall I draw waters out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among all the people. Make mention of his name. He is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Hallelujah. How many of you have got a testimony? Glory to God. I should see every hand. You have a testimony? Yes. Yes. Sing to the Lord. Let him, let the people know you have a testimony. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of the earth. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Where two are gathered, there he is. You don't have to look any further than your next, your neighbor. Jesus is here. Let's stand together as family this morning and we get to worship. The to, Lord. Hallelujah.
0: We get to worship. <laughs> oh, I God. love that. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> Praise
1: God. Good to see you all here today.
0: Jesus.
1: Okay, let's go ahead. I was waiting, but I didn't get anything. To Hallelujah. He's so worthy of your praise. He's so worthy. He's so worthy. Emmanuel, God among us. The lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. He has redeemed you and called you by name. His name is Jesus. Jesus, God. God himself coming on the earth with flesh and blood and living among us. Jesus. Jesus. Let's lift them up. Let's lift them up. Lift them up in your heart. Lift them up with your voice. Lift them up with your body and your hands. Give them all the praise. Give him all the glory. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it, church. He's so worthy. Hallelujah. We lift you up. let you That he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever. That means anyone. Would believe on him. Would not perish. But have everlasting life. Are you a whosoever? Hallelujah. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to rejoice. So much to give God the glory. For all that he is. And all that he's done. We are the most thankful and most blessed people on the face of the earth. Remind yourself of that. You're a blessed man and a blessed woman because Jesus is Lord of your life and he's alive in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remind yourself of these truths. The Bible's full of the truth of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we have to remind ourselves of these truths. We have to declare them over our lives, over our families, over our finances, over everything. You declare, and when you declare, you are speaking forth the very words of God. God said, I'll, I'll not, uh, 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 He said, I'll look over your word, my word coming out of your mouth, and I'll perform it. Don't give up. (laughs) Don't give up. Just keep saying it. Keep saying it on the abundance of your heart. Believing with all the breath you have that the word of God is true for you. True for your circumstances. Amen. Well, one way we love God in this place is encouraging and loving one another. Amen. So turn to your neighbor and say, believe, just believe and declare the truth. Hallelujah. Be
2: Well, good morning, Church of the Word. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We are uh, counting it a privilege to be in the house of the Lord and with each other, and we're going to prepare to return our tithes to the Lord this morning. Amen. That's right, with joy and excitement. Well, we are going to return the tithe to the Lord this morning, and I want to give you some scriptures. One of the ways that we honor God is with our finances. And um, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, I want to give you a couple of scriptures on what that looks like. How do we honor the Lord? Proverbs uh, fourteen thirty-one says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So one specific way to honor God is to give to the poor. So and then I wanted to also bring out that there is reward in honoring the Lord. So it pleases Him when we honor Him, when we esteem Him highly, when we put value on him and in these specific ways that we honor Him, that that pleases him. But there's also reward in that. First Samuel 2:30, the end of the verse says, "They that honor me, I will honor." they that despise me will be lightly esteemed. So what did the Lord say? He says, you honor me, I honor you. Do you think he knows how to honor? Do you think God knows how to give an individual honor? Absolutely. So we have scripture for that too. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. So you honor the lord you esteem his things highly then look what it says what happens for you your storehouses your barns are filled matthew 6 goes along with that see that see the word just agrees with each other all across matthew 6 33 says what seek first the kingdom of god and then all these things will be added to you well what things was he talking about all the things that we know that we have need of and he knows we have need of and the Gentiles go scrambling around chasing. But we're not Gentiles, so we don't put the, the needs of existence first and chase that first. We put the kingdom first and then he takes care of us. So honoring God with our first fruits, with our substance, with our stuff, with our finances, we're giving to the poor and he takes care of us. Amen? All right, well, let's take a hold of your tithe. Let's pray over that. Father, we are so grateful to be your children this morning, and we return the tithe gladly to you. We're grateful for your promises. We're grateful for what you've promised to the tither, that you open the windows of heaven and that you rebuke the devourer for the tither's sake. So we just give you honor, and we ask you to show us how to honor you more. Give us more light and revelation on what it means to honor you and how we can do that in a day-to-day way, Lord. I just thank you for your goodness to us. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. All right, well, we have a sign-up sheet in the back for a ladies' breakfast coming up um, this coming Saturday, May 30th. So if you haven't signed up already and you're a lady, please do sign up because we set a place for everybody. So um, if your name's on the list, we have a plate prepared for you. So we have CWI Foundations class is starting June 7th. So if you're new to CWI or you've never gone through our Foundations class, here's your chance. So do sign up, Um, you will, Get a foundation about the vision for what we are about here, as well as a foundation in your own life. Just basics to go forward. You need a good foundation to build upon so it 's important um, sign up or contact Josh Schumann or debbie if you 're serving on a Citygate uh, missions team, there are some changes that are coming for Lancaster, so if you want to sign up for Columbia. The sign-up sheet is in the back. If you wanted to uh, be part of the Lancaster team, see Sandy Burkholder. So Sandy, everybody knows Sandy. (laughs) There. Okay, anything else here? Um, Next Sunday is our Mission Sunday, so be praying about what the Lord would have you sow your finances into, which missions, and we will be receiving that next Sunday. All right, let's prepare to honor what the Lord would have for us this morning through the pastor.